Welcome to our podcast, Transparently Speaking. I am Diana, and I have a son who transitioned at a young age to become his true self. And I am Joy. I have also supported my daughter to transition at an early age. We are here to share our experience and our learning along this journey. We want to provide support and guidance parent to parent. And if you find yourself on a similar journey, we want you to know that you are not alone. So let's dive in, transparently speaking. So I'm curious, how how did you know that your child was transgender? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, I can answer that in two ways. I'll start where my realization began, which was after, I would say, the first signs showed up. And that was when he was seven, when Clark was seven years old, um, I never watched the news ever. Um, judge me if you will, but I didn't. And I would read it or get it otherwise. But I had the news on because my, because Arthur, my husband, was out of town. I think I just needed another adult voice. And the story of Coy Mathis came up, and she was a girl, trans experience from Colorado, who won the right to use the bathroom. Colorado has non discrimination clause for gender identity. And I heard the story and Coy was six years old and Clark was seven years old. And I kind of froze and was like, wait, you can know your gender identity by this point. So, you know, I did the evening routine, got everyone to bed. Once I was in bed, I went to the computer and I started looking up. Now, the only thing I knew was I was a psychology major and I knew the term gender identity disorder because that's what they were using back when I (laughs) was in college. So I typed in gender identity disorder and children and I kept reading and reading and everything I read was describing Clark. So then I was in a position of like, how do I open up this conversation with Clark? Um, And that takes me to the past. So prior to that moment, you know, when Clark was three, he would go to the playground and tell kids he was a boy. And I thought it was because, you know, the feminist uh, in me thought he thinks he can't play Star Wars and all the things he likes, superheroes, unless he's a boy. And I was like, you can like those things. And it's okay if you're a girl, you just tell him you like those things, you can play those things. And he was a real quiet kid, a pleaser, never like had a hard time speaking up for himself, speaking, you know, to adults and things. And he always wore a cowboy hat and people would be like, Oh, are you a cowgirl? And three-year-old Clark would say, Nope, I'm a cowboy. And like clear as day, no hesitation every time, every single time. Nope. I'm a cowboy. And he would wear a Superman shirt and people would be like, Oh, are you Supergirl?" And he'd say, Nope, I'm Superman. And I was kind of floored that this kid that so quiet and barely said anything said that without hesitation very strongly and I just thought at the time it was because he thought Superman was better than Supergirl or he thought cowboys did something better than cowgirls so I was there going there's no difference between the two there's no difference between cowboys and cowgirls I would wish I could tell you, I said, the only difference is how they identify, but I was not as informed at the time. So I would make reference to their genitals as the only difference. And, 
Um, I have to give myself some grace for that because I realized that by doing that, by saying, no, you have a vulva, you're a cowgirl, that I closed that, um, closed that conversation up for him. So now fast forward to seven years old and this realization he may know his gender identity, everything I'm reading is describing that. Then I had to open up the conversation with him without leading him. That was very important for me not to lead him. So I started with his name, his, his dead name was, or birth name uh, was a very feminine name. So the next day we were talking and I said, um, you know, your name, what do you think of your name? And very matter of fact, he said, I don't like it. I said, oh, what don't you like about it? He said, it's a lady's name. <laughs> and I said, why, yes, it is a lady's name. It's not like Shannon or Chris or, you know, a name that could be anyone's name. I said, what would you want your name to be? And he kind of thought about it. I said, what were you going to name me? Because um, we did not find out uh, the sex or in this case, the genitals of the fetus before it was born. And so we talked a little bit about that and kind of let it go. And then maybe a day later, I decided to tell him the story of Coimathus. I'm like, oh, I heard the story on the news of a girl who everyone thought was a boy, but she knew she was a girl in her heart and in her head. Now she's living her true self. And he looked at me, eyes real big and said, that's me, mom. That's me. Except I'm a boy in my heart and my head. And everyone seems to think I'm a girl. That was our beginning, putting all things together. Wow. What was your reaction? How was that for you when he was able to, you know, with those big eyes looking at you? Oh my gosh, mom, that's me. You know, it was a mixture of emotions. On one hand, to like see that expression on his face where it's like, you're seeing me. Like somebody under finally understands um, was so like exciting and heartwarming and crushing at the same time. And I had to realize I had shut that conversation down for him and that he hadn't been being seen. And I think the biggest emotion, like I try to really go into my body and think like, what did I feel? There was such a sense of loss. And to be perfectly honest, no, I didn't lose a child. And that's not what I'm trying to say, but who I thought he was going to be. And I really tried never to have dreams for my children, like in the sense of like, I never assumed they'd get married. I never assumed they'd be heterosexual. I never assumed they would have children, you know, but I guess as much as I would say like boys, girls, no difference, right. That I did have something that felt different inside of me. So there's a little bit of that. But I think the strongest emotion of all was my fear, my fear for his safety, my fear, mm. would he make friends? Would he be safe? Uh, would he be picked on? Would he be physically harmed or even killed? Would he be isolated? Um, you know, would anyone be his friend? I'm curious, Diana, was that, you know, these fears and these questions that popped into your head, do you think that was really, was that immediate for you? Was that kind of immediately what flowed over you? 
or would, did that kind of come later? Do you think I'm, I'm curious kind of about, can you almost put yourself back in that moment where it sounds like you had done some research, you put the pieces together and then you were having this validating conversation with Clark? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Cause for me, like looking back, it all happened around the same time, but probably the safety thoughts came at night when I was left alone with my thoughts. Um, but mm-hmm. no, in that moment, it was more probably excited that he's excited and so happy to be seen and realizing that I have to let go of any dream I did have or thought I have of who I thought he was. Mm-hmm. And also the like, you know, oh man, I closed this conversation. Now I have to open it up again. And I did, you know, not in that moment, but maybe a day later, and at some point I said, you know, I always said like boys have penises and girls have vulvas. Well, you know, that's not always true. You know, um, boys can have all sorts of things. They have vulvas, penis, they have combinations of things. And that's not what makes a boy a boy or a girl a girl. It's who they are. And that I remember also that same brightening and eye widening that he did at that time, like, again, I'm being seen, like being validated. It was powerful and sad that I didn't do it sooner or realize sooner. Mm. Well, thank you so much for honoring us with the vulnerability that you're sharing here too, kind of about that experience. I know for me, it was a total journey over a period of time. Um, And the moment I knew there was something, I don't think I had the language of transgender um, yet, but the moment I knew that there was something going on that I needed to figure out was when I picked up my child at the age of five from the um, daycare after work, picked him up, all three of my children in the backseat. And all of a sudden my child says to me, why did God make me a boy? Wow. And I'm driving and this, these words come out of my five-year-old's mouth. And I'm like, whoa, what is going on here? Like, honestly, I was like confused and kind of scared and like, oh my God, I don't know what this is. Um, And kind of like you, you know, I got on, I started kind of Googling and at that point in time, like that day, I started piecing a bunch of stuff together. And I think without sort of that strong language and voice for my child, it would have taken me longer to figure it out. But as I look back, the pieces were all there. So I think about one of the most um, beautiful kind of pieces of evidence for me about who my child was all along without me even knowing it. I had a event, a work event, like a Christmas holiday party I was going to, and I had this beautiful gown on that had all these beads in it. Um, and it was shimmery and beautiful. And it's one of the few times I was wearing some, some nice high heels and I was, you know, made to shine that night. And my child saw me and my kids were a little late to language. And so of the twins, um, Samantha had seen me at the time, you know, that wasn't her name. Um, because I still saw him as a boy, but he came up to me and it was so evident. He wanted me to take that dress off so he could put it on. 
he wanted to be, you know, in that realm of beauty and in that space. And at the time I was like, oh, baby, that's so cute. Like, and I found something to distract him because, you know, with young kids, that's what you do. (laughs) Go get him something else to go look at or play with and he'll forget. And I said, oh, baby, tomorrow, you can put it on tomorrow. And so then guess what happens? The first thing the next morning, he comes into my bedroom and starts tugging on that dress. And we do our little dress up where we put the dress on him. He wanted the heels. He wanted it all. And you should have seen the big smile on his face. I mean, it was, it's so beautiful. And I, I think about that now. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, there were other, you know, things that I saw throughout his very young, you know, uh, toddlerhood. We had lived overseas. We lived in Singapore for a couple of years. And we went over there when the twins were just over two. And our friends kind of where we lived in a condo, an apartment sort of situation, the only other friends that we had made kind of immediately was another family of expats. And they had these two beautiful girls. And so I didn't think anything of it that my boys would go over there and get all dressed up in dresses and be princesses and be everything else, you know, these girls were playing with. And I just thought, well, of course they're going to (laughs) wear dresses because that's what their friends are doing. But it was much more evident and, and something that my child Samantha sought out than her twin, Bobby. Um, And, you know, I'm thinking about it too. There was a really stressful situation and decision I needed to make. Um, When Samantha was four, she was adamant about going to a Halloween event as a princess. And at the time, again, it didn't really, I didn't think anything of it because she had this context of dressing up like that all the time. And the expectation I had set with her, similar, Diana, to what you shared, is we talked about Mm -hmm. genitalia. And that was kind of the boundaries that I had drawn and some expectations I set. And as I look back on this, you know, it's stuff I'm not necessarily proud of, but I I think of the space I was in at the time and trying to create a safe environment for me and my children and not knowing things about cultural norms in this other country. And also being concerned even at the time about my child being picked on or all of us receiving some form of verbal abuse or non-niceties to to say it kindly. And, um, And so I would just tell Samantha, you can wear whatever you want in the house or over your friend's house. But when we go outside, you're a boy, you have a penis and boys wear clothes like this. And so that was just the norm. And, and, um, at the time he accepted that and it was just the way we functioned. That was just the expectation. That was just the way we functioned. I knew my child liked to, to be beautiful and dress up with feminine type things and wear a t-shirt on his head as if it were long hair kind of flowing over his shoulders. He loved that. He would toss his head around as if he had long hair. Um, and I remember my friend even asking, cause I would cut their hair um, myself. I cut my kid's hair. I remember my friend asking, do you think he'll ever realize that his hair will never grow long because you cut it? Like there was no association with the fact that I cut his hair. And so his hair couldn't grow long. <laughs> so as I look back on it, there were all these indicators that might have told me there's something else going on. Um, but in that moment of question for that Halloween party, I sought some advice from friends and everything else. And we ended up kind of pushing our own limits and allowing him to go in um, in this 
pirate princess outfit that kind of played the line a little bit. Like it was a little masculine because it was concept of a pirate, but it was definitely a dress and it had black and pink. And oh my gosh, my child was thrilled and so happy and so beautiful to see that. And when that child at the age of five said, why did God make me a boy? I knew that there was more to this than just this child that liked beautiful feminine things. And so I did all that researching like you talked about and came up with the language of transgender. Cause I don't think I, I would have come up with it before then. Um, yeah. And so it was new for me. It was totally new for me. How did you feel when you found that word and did your research? I think, I think that I felt a mix of emotions, everything from this is a thing, like there's something out there. I'm not the only one sort of going through this experience where my child um, expresses an identity or a a belief in themselves that is different than what I might've held for them and that the rest of us all held. Um, So there's some relief that I wasn't alone. There's maybe a path I could follow but also some fear, like you talked about, what does this mean? But all those reasons why I kept telling my child, you're a boy, you have a penis, you are this. Well, we can't rely upon that language and that sense of beliefs anymore. What is this new set of beliefs that I need to be open to? And how do I support my child through this journey? How do we want to think about this journey? It was, it was honestly probably a sense of overwhelm. At any point, did you ever think, nope, not gonna not gonna let you transition or anything like that. So that's a great question because since even this concept of like being transgender was new, I don't think I even knew about the concept of transitioning, about like I could make a choice, right, to allow my child to live in a different mm-hmm. identity. And I think all that came over a period of time of learning. And honestly, I think. Most of it came, Diana, um, through the blessing of an amazing parent support group that you were part of and that really helped me grow in this space and learn in this space. And I think there's one thing I want to point out about something you said. You talked about you didn't know that you had a choice and, and, um, you know, but what you were saying is the choice of allowing your child to express themselves. And I just want to point out that distinction because I don't know, but I was told by someone I love that I had a choice um, of whether or not to transition Clark. And, and that's the key. The choice is not who Clark or Samantha are, was not our choice, but it's whether or not we choose to allow them to express themselves as their true selves. And for me, it just made sense. Like I remember telling that person because the person loved me and they were saying, you're not ready. You know, you're sad and upset and you're not ready. And I, my response was, it doesn't matter whether I'm ready or not. He has just told me who he is. And in my mind to turn my back and say, that's nice, but no, you can't do that was just not even an option. Because it felt like conditional love. It felt like, that's nice. That's who you are. But I want you to be this person. So Mm -hmm. you're going to keep being this person. 
And that was just mm. an option for me. Well, you know what I think is is interesting about that, Diana? I think I went through my learning process. And when I came across the data about the risks I was going to face as a child with a transgender identity, and I saw risks of things like mm -hmm. suicide and things like that, I think that's what made it very clear to me that I also didn't have a choice, that my choice was to either love my child and create a safe space for them to be who they were, or put my child in a lot of danger. And, um, and I was really scared about that. And so it didn't even feel like that was an option. And from there, it was, it was a path to kind of get, get my loved ones around me on board, you know, get my husband on board with this um, first, of course. And again, that parent support group was absolutely essential in kind of our learning and getting us to kind of that base level of understanding where we were ready to commit to, yes, this, let's support our child. Let's come up with a name that this child identifies with and switch those pronouns and do all those things to validate the identity that our right. child has. And I think um, within the parent community, it's a phrase we often hear, right? I'd rather have an alive son than a dead daughter or you know some that would be my version of it but some version of that you know um and people may think it's traumatic but when you hear you know it's suicide attempts at the level of 46 percent and we can and forget the numbers like we can see the distress within our child um it, it speaks to us. Yeah, there's no denying it. The other thing you said is that what your reading of your research made you think I'm not the only one, um, which is interesting because I had the opposite reaction. I, <laughs> I am the only one, um, even though I knew of Coy Mathis, but you know, she was in Colorado. I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> any, I wasn't aware. I should say I wasn't aware of knowing a transgender person, mm -hmm. much less a child. And the only thing I knew were from movies like The Crying Game, where it was, you know, viewed, it was portrayed as, you know, quote, disgusting or um, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective or any Adam Sandler movie. There's always somebody in Adam Sandler's movie that's like a butt of jokes is that it's a, quote, guy dressed as a girl. Um, I put those in loose quotes. Uh, so, you know, a joke or disgusting. That's all I knew. And the only other story I had was I had a loved one who worked with a woman and her partner was a transgender woman. And I remember my loved one talking about it and just saying how, like, it was almost like a joke and they joked about it all the time. But that loved one said to me, wow. You know, she must have been through a lot of trauma to want nothing to do with being a, a man. And so that's kind of what I grew up thinking, like, well, if you transition, not that I knew that term back then, but if you transition, then it's because you've had some sort of trauma. That was the other fear that went through my head. Like, did Clark go through some sort of trauma? And I wasn't aware of it. Oh, interesting. Um, but of course, now we know there's a lot of untruth <laughs> to that, that it's just who he is and who he was. 
Interesting. That's, and I can imagine if, if that was your context of any introduction to even the language of transgender, knowing somebody that had trauma as, as a background that that would be fearful. Oh my gosh. What did, what did my child experience that is making them this way? Or what are they running away from? What did I miss as as a parent? So I think that was one of the happiest things I learned that it's not a response to trauma, um, but it did go through my head where I'm like, one of the times that my child has been out of my eyesight. Yeah. So Joy, I think the point in all this and why it's so important for us to talk about this is that everyone has their own experience. And I think there's so many feelings that people experience when they realize their, um, who their children really are. So our experiences are definitely not the only narrative, but I wanted to, us to share some of our narrative. So maybe people might find some things that resonate with them, maybe not other things, but knowing that everyone has their own journey and their own story, and this is ours. Yeah, I think that that's I think that's beautiful to introduce and to welcome people into exploring an understanding of this. And I think the only other thing I would add to that, Diana, is recognizing that it's a journey, even in coming to that sense of understanding of what identity, especially in the gender space, might be for someone and encourage some of that self-compassion that you talked about for anybody who may be going through this journey to recognize that everyone's journey is going to be different and um, that it can be challenging to come to some level of understanding what it might mean for you and for your child or for a different loved one. Absolutely. That's a wrap on this episode of Transparently Speaking. Thanks for joining us today. Join us again on the 1st and 15th of every month for our next podcast. Thank you to Filter for our awesome music. That's P-H-I-L-T-Y-R. Check them out at Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or anywhere you download music. As a reminder, we welcome your feedback and questions. Email us anytime at transparentlyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you're taking something away from our podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to provide us a review. The more listeners and reviews, the more people we can reach and support. Thanks in advance. Cheers from Joy and Diana.